0: The team never quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union Navy Federal has multiple savings and investing options to help you get closer to your financial goals Learn more at navyfederal.org this is Power ooh, ooh, never quit ooh, never quit he never quit radio. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit podcast. Marcus, John, what's up, guys? You know, ready for another one? Yes, sir. All right. I'm excited, man. Let's do it. Hey, uh, we've got somebody cool in, I guess, in virtual land of Zoom hanging out with us today. Chris Bussler, man. What's, up, what's going on? Welcome to the show. This is called Half In, Half Out of the Studio. <laughs> That's right.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm doing well, man. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. It's, just, it's an honor to, to meet you guys.
1: Well, brother, man, thanks for being here. Happy new year. We got 2022 kicking off. I know it's going to be an interesting one for sure. We've been through a lot already. Absolutely. Uh, That's a, that's a wonderful thing about going through a bunch of stuff with, with each other is that it makes us uh, not only stronger, but it brings us closer together. I know a lot of people don't see that, but those of us in the military, it's kind of the, that's how we're, that's the life we lead and what we
0: have to go through and what we, what we kind of pull away from that. So thanks again for being here, bro. Well, before I do a formal intro, of Chris, I gotta say we've got a Patreon question that I figured we could we could talk about. What is the craziest dare you have ever agreed to? Hmm, that's a good one.
1: Join the military? <laughs> that's pretty crazy.
2: <laughs> wow, I can't think of anything.
0: That is a tough one. Yeah, John, you got anything? Oh, I, I, I just
2: thought of mine. Okay, Go ahead. who's got one? <laughs>
1: All right, so in sniper school, I got dare. It was in uh, we were in at Pendleton and on the stock field. Man, they had those those old cactus that had the huge leaves on them. I forget what they're called, man. But anyways, I had to pull off some of those, cut some of those uh, pads off, and put them in my uniform, and do the stock with that thing uh, with with, with oh. those in my uniform, oh, including down in my drawers, man. And uh, oh. which I thought I was tough and that would be a great idea. About four hours later, as I was regretting it, but yeah, that was probably one of the dumbest ones I did. <laughs> golly i
2: can't think of anything um usually people don't dare me anything
1: are they still say that word around here i've heard that in a while i, I have dare heard, you i dare you <laughs> yeah we're bringing I mean, it back because yeah. there used to be double the double dare, dare you. put your, the triple, the triple dog yeah right we're bringing those back man the dares i can't remember either that's okay like, that's good yeah i know when i was a kid you know who didn't dare you to jump your bike off of something Oh, yeah. And you had to do it. Well, that's the first bike wreck, right? Yeah, exactly. When you got dared to do it. I got on a hunt, got dared to step out and go slap one of those Cape Buffalo on the ass. <laughs> I was halfway through it until I started to turn around and come back. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the bicycle ones are always, that's how it starts, right? Yeah, exactly. It's always on the bike. Thank you, are Evil Knievel.
0: All right, well Chris grew up as an Air Force brat in the 1970s and 1980s. He joined the Marine Corps Reserves right out of high school and was assigned to the MP, Co C in Dayton, Ohio as an 0311 Rifleman. He is a retired Marine combat veteran and the author of No Tougher Duty, No Greater Honor. Excited to be having you here today, man. Thank you so much for having me. So you got to take us way so back. Awesome. Take us way back. Yeah, Air Force brat
1: so you're 70s, 80s, baby. That's good. That's what we are. That's right. Born that, that's in 74. What's up, right? Yeah. Uh, we're a different breed, man. The hybrids, the 70s and 80s. Yep. But you're uh, Air Force Brad. You got military. Is it a history in your family?
2: Yes, sir. Yeah, my uh, my dad served in the uh, Air Force. He was uh, three tours in Vietnam. Um, it was where he met, my, met and married my mom um, when he was stationed in Thailand. Um, I have history where my... My grandfather served in the Pacific during World War II. Um, I have a granduncle who landed on Omaha Beach, uh, fought his way to Bastogne before he got uh, hurt and medevaced out. Um, Going back all the way to the Civil War.
1: That's awesome. It's amazing to have when you – the cool part about this day and age and the technology we have is looking back and and finding the history. Because sometimes that stuff gets lost even when you have it in your family, the same way with us. They got hurt right before Basto, everyone got hurt, man, they marched across that hole that was and talking to those World War II veterans, there's not very really many of them left in the korea and, and the and the Vietnam guys, man, they always kind of give you know tell us how great you know it's good having us down here and everything like that, man, but what they had to go through was something yep,
2: absolutely there was there was no uh taking some time off and and you know you had to get right back into the middle of the fight.
1: Wanted to go back up in there but w- because they're together so long. Yep. I mean, just to jump in on that place is the craziest thing. None of the shells that hit the beach landed where they were supposed to. They dropped them and scattered them all over the world. Yep. Had to march yep. and their and way the back. Bombs,
2: the bombers came in. They didn't even hit the uh, the targets. They Not even one of them.
1: them I know. I didn't yep. know that till recently. I had, I was watching something, man. Some of the documentaries they got there, they're like, oh, yeah, the shell they didn't even hit. They dropped them into a live target. And I was like, that's
2: sweet. Yeah. Yeah, the first wave. I just finished reading uh, Bedford Boys. It yeah. was a uh, 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 guys a bunch of uh, guys from Virginia it was a National Guard unit that was on that first wave. And I want to say it was like nineteen of them in this one little town. I ended up dying. Yeah, uh, Company A of that that group there. Right. Yeah. That's probably yeah, that when they started
1: people. dividing us up, right? And the brothers and it was during the World yes. War II boys because they yeah. there's so many of them would die from one town. And, yeah, it would debilitate yeah, the, the entire brothers. town. Yeah, Solomon's on the ship. Yeah. For sure. That was one thing when my brother and I were in we were we weren't allowed to ride in the same Humvee or the same helicopter. Wow. It was this uh people ask if that Sullivan Act is a mandatory thing. Well, it's in the military, we don't ever talk about this, but there's some understood rules that we follow, like some protocols just because of stuff that happened in the past, and that, that's kind of one of them.
2: Yep. Yeah. yeah, my uh I didn't get the honor of serving with my, my, my brothers. Uh, my, my brother broke his hip in boot camp two weeks from graduation. And my other brother served in the Air Force. So I didn't get a chance to serve with them. You were the only uh, Marine? I am the only Marine in the entire history of my family. Is that true? Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs>
1: that's <laughs> bragging rights right there. Yeah. That's bragging rights. Because once a marine, yeah. always a marine. And if, if people don't know this, like if you join up and sign up for the military into the Navy, you have to go to Navy boot camp. If you go to Army, you have to go to Army boot camp. Marines have to go to Marine. But if you just lateral over to a different service branch, like from Army to Navy or Navy to Air Force, you have to go back through their boot camps. The only ones that don't are Marines. They're the only ones it's that don't right. have to do that. That's pretty amazing. I'll tell you a lot. I give Marines a lot of props now because y'all have to save my ass so many times back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> When we were in, in our skin, you know, the deal, we were like, hey, you know, we didn't need y'all's help. We're tougher and all that bullshit. But now, like, oh, yeah, freaking Marines, man, you need them.
2: Yeah. yeah. We were, uh, when I was in Iraq, man, when we heard we had, uh, SEALs operating in our area, we we're like, whoa, holy cow, man, this is pretty awesome. We must be high on the totem pole if they, you know, if we get Navy SEALs out in our area. I remember
1: when we really started working together a lot, like for, for the sniper missions and the DAs and stuff like that. And, uh. It, it, the, the bragging and the machismo and all that—that that stuff was always there, sure. But man, we were getting trouble with each other because of how much fun we'd start to have. Like, their discipline—it's <laughs> not that we have a lack of discipline. I don't think. we'll probably do. You know, <laughs> just with everything else, man. It was fun. It was some chaos, man. You want to talk about bringing the hammer down? They put the our two groups together. Yep.
0: We made some noise for sure. Did you know that you were going go to go the Marines basically since you were young? Like, oh, yeah, obviously, how did you get
2: with the- that? How'd you? Absolutely not. Was that the um, dare? It, no, it wasn't a dare. It was that I grew up in the Air Force. You know, uh, I grew up and my dad worked on the, on the flight lines refueling airplanes, or he was manning a desk. And I grew up, <clears throat> you know, when we lived overseas, seeing the Marines PT in the morning. And, you know, yeah, they and, do that. And I saw that their uniforms are always tight. Um, and you they know, do that they too. Immaculate. <laughs> Uh, they have the best so, uniforms.
1: That's one of the deals. Yep. Everyone says that.
2: I like When so, those suckers um, show up
1: in their chokers, man, that's a big deal.
2: My, uh, during the Gulf War, um, my mom was adamant that I joined the Air Force, and, and my dad was kind of pushing me there, too. But after watching the, everything that these guys did in Desert Storm and then having the recruiter come up and explain things to us, what was happening and everything, it really sold me. So I knew I was wanting to get in and I wanted to shoot guns and blow things up and do things that I only seen uh, on movies. And I never thought I'd ever have a chance to ever go to war. I just wanted to go out and do cool things.
1: Yeah, that's a good way of saying that. I, I a lot of guys, because when you're watching the TV and the commercials and stuff like that, and some sometimes like back in our day, they did a great job of recruiting us. Yep, because yep. the movies were, were designed that way, too. I mean, we had Arnold Schwarzenegger, Stallone. I mean, our generation, everybody was, and then the war movies, the martial art movies, they did a great job of doing that. And you signed up for that adventure. I was like, hey, man, I want to scuba dive and jump out of airplanes and shoot guns and blow stuff up. And the war thing was always kind of in the back of your head if you had to use it. Mm-hmm. But that's, I mean, we trained for war the entire time, whether it's on or not. So I, the, the life in, that, in, in the military is an exciting, it is exciting for sure. Absolutely. And it's funny now because I'm out and after doing some stretches with the Air Force, I tell everyone who asked me like, Hey, I want to be a Navy SEAL. I'm like, go in the Air Force. You should join the Air Force. They got special forces there. They take care of the people. When we showed up on that Air Force base in Cutter that time and they had the volleyball courts and the Baskin and oh, Robins. Yeah. and you know, we had been living in a hole for, for months. <laughs> and come in dude, and I'm like,
2: wow. All yeah,
1: the hot chicks the joined the Air Force. Too. It's amazing. <laughs> it's weird, man.
2: <laughs> yeah. We ended up doing the same thing too. When, uh, after the invasion, they, they pulled my team out, one of the first teams, because they thought these other units that we were training, uh, they wanted them to get, uh, they wanted to get them to get some experience. And so we got on the wrong flight and we ended up in Oman. Oh yeah. In an Air Force base, Seeb Air Base in Oman. How about and that one? We, yeah, absolutely. With the volleyball courts. Bro, that's what happened to and, us. Yeah, same pizza, thing. Pizza Hut and, and you that know, frickin spot, and that freaking Pizza Hut
1: with the swimming pool behind it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? I remember walking off and I was like, is there a swimming pool behind that? I mean, we're tattered, beat that. Yeah,
2: yeah dude. Same time. This is
1: the same time yep. frame. I'll never forget that. That's when yeah, I started everybody, everybody
2: stopped what they were doing and watched us walk by. <laughs> now we were filthy; oh, our hair was all you know I mean, we haven't had a haircut, you know, in in like a month. Yeah, you know, and and razor burns from shaving, so we can keep that seal on our gas masks and everything. Yeah, it's a—I forgot about that, man. Yeah, guys those guys—it's a- uh kind of like you know. Like, like the uh, the record dance that you know record at the dance club just skipped and everybody was like oh what was going on wow. here and you know, we walked in and because the, the plane went would land and, thinking, and, ta- and,
1: and taxi ride over to it and drop us off right there.
2: Yep, yep. It wasn't that far away from uh-uh. from the from the, uh, the what they call the Pentagon, which is the new salute no salute area. Mm-hmm. It's not that far away.
1: Yeah, it's because they were in their bikinis and shorts playing volleyball with perfect hands. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that not shaving, kind of hairs all adrift freaking long and them out there having the time of their life that's awesome yep. good job great for them man go ahead <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, seriously man Great for them, huh? like dumb asses to join the marine corps and navy <laughs> all right so you joined up or you got air force in your in your system already yes, and, sir. and your brother still went are you the oldest i am the oldest right on so the idea to be a full-time Marine when that came up, how old were you? Out of high school or college?
2: Right out of high school. I, I signed up um, senior year. Um, at first, I wanted to go active duty, but after thinking, because I grew up traveling and never having a place to call home. And and I figured if I ever have kids, I don't really want them to go through the same thing. So, you know, I already traveled on the wor- around the world and I really didn't want to go out and see new sites, but I wanted to serve. So there was a uh, reserve unit close to my house that accepted grunts and uh, and that was, um, you know, MP company, Charlie and Dayton. And um, little did they tell me when I signed up and got checked into the unit that that, that they were like, oh, we don't do grunt things here. Um, You're going to be part of mortuary affairs. And I'm like, what the hell is that? And so uh, that they code were like, for like, death dealer or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, is. do I do, uh, like, <laughs> details? Yeah. You know, what's that? And he goes, no, you're the guys that go out on the front lines and find the guys who get killed. The guys with their helicopters get uh, shot down. You go get them and you recover their remains and you bring them back. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I was a little... I don't know, nervous about the whole idea because that's not what I wanted to do. But after a while of being there and I realized uh, that the guys there in this unit were cool and I was never going to go to war. So (laughs) I would never have to do that job. And uh, little did I know, just 10 years later, I uh, ended up getting deployed.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that puts you right in there. Yes, I don't know why that reminded me of that movie Predator or Schwarzenegger. They were, they were a recovery unit. Yep. And the guys had to come in and get us. I mean, they get dropped into the hot spot to, get the, to recri- uh, pull those bodies back out for sure. One of the, the, first, the first mission I ever did in my SEAL career was a recovery op. There was an F-18 that got shot down by one of our own Patriot missiles back right when the wars first kicked off. Wow. Split his plane in half, and it landed in, in a lake you could see the tail fin out of the water and then the nose had gone all the way down. So we had to go with EOD and bip that and then mm-hmm. found him, uh, on the side of the, he was, he was away from the, his chute had been deployed, but he, he didn't make it. And, uh, I remember that that recovery up. So I, yeah, we got an idea of what you guys do. So yeah, go ahead. That was the idea.
2: It, it, it started because of, um, back in Vietnam, there was a guy named, uh, I think it was Lance Corporal Jackson from Atlanta, Georgia. He, uh, he was with uh third battalion, fourth Marine, same guys that I was with, but he was with India company. And, uh, um, there was an attack, uh, and there, I guess they had their, all their things from their artillery, all, all the, all the bags for, for the shells, the uh, gunpowder bags, yeah. they ended up flashing and blowing up. And, uh, yeah, those guys ended up, um, getting hurt and somewhere along the way he got, he was missing. So that's how we got the, the thing started. They, they tasked out Lieutenant Colonel uh, Cassidy and said, Hey, build up a unit that, you know, they can go out there and recover. They know what they're looking for either on the site or if there's a helicopter crash or anything. And so that's how we got started, you know, and, and when Somalia kicked off, then they really saw the value of what we were. Especially when did that unit during,
1: spin up? When did, Was it Was it during the storms and, or the shields?
2: Um, yeah, during the storm, they ended up spitting up a bunch of guys and they policed up the uh, the Highway of Death yeah. and um, stuff like that, but they weren't really on the front lines. Not like how we were right. during our invasion in 03, but those guys were more in the rear. Um, but yeah, they ended up doing that. Uh, and then we were training on world war II manuals. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause nobody else had ever written down what it was like to recover guys and what we needed to know. So during the, all through the nineties, we were just training on um, just like patrolling scenarios Right, and you go up and you secure the perimeter and you do your, your, your site sketch going and, and recover the remains and you extract.
1: I wonder what caused that, because you're right. I mean, it's not that we had to reinvent the wheel, but I remember when we came in in the 90s, because we were, well, the Vietnam guys were real, real heavy because they trained up the storms and, and the shields. And it was a lot of that patrolling desert kind of, or jungle, it, it, it all mixed up. Yep. But I guess their war was so di- jungle. I mean, how could, they were fighting in there. Was, I mean, the, the, the tactics and all that stuff. It was kind of hard to teach us that because a lot of it was chaos. Yes, sir. I mean, it was ambush ops most of the time them mm-hmm. that they were having to do that so that's why they're so damn tough like if people aren't aware of that man most of the time when the vietnam guys went in for something they knew they were coming
2: yeah and they hit they, them they were in contact We didn't get caught in contact in vietnam you know something was wrong something's right. about to happen
1: yeah so with us i already dropped in i had a flak jacket on came off that plane with i mean an old school green one into the yep. desert that's how we had. right i had yep. all that high speed tech with that flak jacket <laughs> And they dropped our ass in there, man. And then we had to, uh, that's why our, our leadership was good. Our chief and stuff like that, man. We For the first couple of weeks, trying to get that battle rhythm. You know, most guys, that's when the units get hit. First month or so, month and a half, two months, and then the last two months. Because they're getting a the battle rhythm in the beginning. And then they're getting complacent in the end because they want to go home.
2: Yep. You know, funny thing about that uh, green flak jacket during the invasion. Um, I took a picture of when we crossed into the breach that night. Um, you can see where I have my green flak jacket over my mop suit. Yeah, and I had my e-tool right here in the center of my chest. I was thinking if I did get shot in the chest, it might slow down that bullet enough where that flak jacket could stop that round. Right? That has that
1: that uh, bib around the top of it. That big green. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, those are great. And absolutely had that damn mop suit. We had because when the lightning drills would go down, man, we'd have to mop suit up, freaking sleep in that damn thing. You talking yeah, about it? So. Oh, I think sucked. Oh. man. That's awesome. Good memory. Way to pull that one back. God, on. keep going, man. <laughs> so Motorary Affair, that's an entire unit in the corps in itself.
2: Yeah, we were the only ones in the entire Marine Corps. just uh, the unit in, in, in uh Dayton, Ohio. Uh, there was, I think at the most we had maybe. 37 guys. Um, so is and- it
1: divided up? There was a Marine that died. Chance was his name. They yeah. Had a, you know, t-
2: yeah. That is after what the job we do. That's, what we- I'm,
1: that's exactly what I was about to ask you. So it's split. It's kind of like with us. Like you guys got to go in and get it, bring it back and then you drop it and then it shifts over to them, right? There's another unit that does right. the...
2: Um, during the invasion, uh, we were uh, purely on the front lines. We were there with the grunts. Right. Or there, during the confusion of the gigantic sandstorm, we actually oh, got things so uh, so bad in front of the grunts. So, um, but during my third deployment, uh, it was mostly with the guys. With, you know, the guys who had that loss would bring the remains to us. Uh, And we would process the remains. So basically going through and annotating all of like uh, their, their ID cards, their dog tags, you know, laundry markings. Uh, You're making like witness statements and you're collecting all this evidence. So Dover would make that final determination that this person is this person, but there were, uh, there's multiple times where if the unit was in, still engaged in combat or the scene was too catastrophic, they would send my team out. Right. So we would go out there on the scene. A lot of times, this is Ramadi that we were going into, and and you know cleaning up uh, Bradley's. Right. Uh, Ramadi Army was Bradley.
1: bad. I was out there. Oh six, oh seven. That, okay, yeah, that sandstorm uh, you brought up uh, like, in 03? 03,
2: 04, 05, and it left in uh, February of 06.
1: So, I, 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 ripped, I, I, so I ripped in when you were ripping out in 06. I came yep. in man, right in the cold. I remember that. And then uh, 02, 03, Iraq? That uh, sandstorm? Um, hey, the, man, 03, you, Iraq, you don't think su- yeah. sand can get everywhere? It, it can get inside <laughs> closed canteen bottles? Yeah. I mean, that, it's, it's like baby powder. Literally, yep. you can slide down the dune and wipe your butt with it. It's I, like I still have scene.
2: sand, uh, 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 sea bags. Still, still oh, have sand in them. <laughs> I
1: pulled out a flag the other day to to to, to put a new one up on the flagpole, and when I un, uh, unfolded it, all that sand was in there. That that it's a that fine powdery dust. Kind of, fine, oh, powder kind of
2: when stuff. When it gets
1: wet and you try to step it, like moon dust, right? Remember, it clumps exactly. up exactly. Like, like yep, flowers. it turns into like concrete, bro. It's that sandstorm. I'll never forget that sucker. That was all stopped. It like shut. It stopped all of us. Digging right, dig in place. A dig in place, huh? Yep. <laughs> Good times. All right, so when y'all go out and you collect the, the... Is that a standing unit or is it only wartime unit?
2: It was only wartime unit. That's why they decided to give it to the reserves. That's pretty cool, And man. And uh, because there's not a, a a need for it during peacetime. Yeah. Wow. And, and uh, so we're, at the time, we were the only ones in the Marine Corps that did what we did. Uh, but, you know, we're still training on World War II manuals and kind of making things up on the fly.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, we really didn't know how to employ them during combat. So uh, when we figured out that we were going to move into Iraq, they spun us up to go train some guys down in Marietta, Georgia, and guys in anti Navy Yards in D.C. Uh, so two companies before we punched out. And we were one of the first units that got to Camp Coyote. And we're building a place up. So we built a ton of scud bunkers and put up tents. And so how, long, your, how long is
1: the pump if, if there's not that many of y'all?
2: So um, at the time, our pumps were supposed to be like seven months, I guess. Seven yeah. to eight months. But uh, there was three companies. And they moved those other two guys in after us. So then they were looking at uh, that we were going to do the initial invasion And at the time they were talking about weapons of mass destruction and that that kind of stuff. And I didn't find out about this until I started writing my book that the idea was that for us on the first wave, we're not going to make it. And the guys that trained us, that we trained them in uh, DC and and, and, and down in Georgia, that they're going to supposed to come up and clean us up. Right. So...
1: Good feeling, right? We
2: were were expecting a ton of casualties because we divided up into three teams and each of the teams had 1,500 remains, what we call them remains pouches, but body bags. Yep.
1: And how many on that team?
2: On my team? Yeah. Yeah. um, At the time we had 33 plus a couple of extra guys that jumped in there. So maybe about 37. And
1: y'all break that down into fire teams from
2: there? So we broke them into squads. Yep. And um, so my team had 11. Yeah.
1: That's what we run into, 11s. Yep. Bigger platoons be 18 men, but then the, you know, the reconnaissance recovery units and stuff like that would be – and then it goes; it can go down from 11, too, if we need be, but
2: – Oh, yeah.
1: All right, so when the, when that unit spun up, you guys were the first ones to go – what year was that?
2: 03.
1: Well, man, that's when everything was kicking off. Yes, sir. Where would you we guys go into – where would y'all land and push out of?
2: I'm sorry? Where were we all out of? We were out of, uh, when we first got in there, we were at Camp Iwo Jima over in uh, Camp Coyote. They moved us, when they were grouping us together, we left out of Camp Bougainville. All right. How long were you in? I was in for 17 and a half years.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, story. I got medically retired. Wow. Nice work, man. Thanks for your service.
2: No, thank you for yours.
1: All right. Well, you're welcome. I enjoyed every second of it, man. All right, so when you when you come back and and you get out, what then?
2: Um, when you talk about it in country, yeah, or are you talking yeah no about, in, co- uh, in country in we'll get States.
1: to back home in a minute, but I mean like so when or, you guys rotate out, then what?
2: So they really didn't know what to do with this. So we did the initial invasion, and we got replaced um, before we got to the goal line. You no, know, the goal line was Baghdad. Um, they wanted the other guys that we trained to get more experience. They thought the war was going to end within like a couple weeks, so they moved us down to Kuwait, and we just sat there until they figured out that all right, we need to send these guys home. So I think we left in like July of '03. One of the very first units to get back.
1: Where had y'all at? K or Ali Osseline? Where were we all at? Uh, we, uh, we, we moved
2: in um, back down to Coyote, the Iwo Jima. And from there, they, we, I think we moved out of Ali Osseline. Yeah, and then we flew out. And- we were at the naval base there, the Kuwaiti naval okay. base
1: before it was built up. Like we were still a tent mm-hmm. city in it and all that. Um, I heard that place changed now, though. I can only imagine what it looks like. I'm sure. I'm sure. All right, so go ahead. You guys rotate back in from the field and then in, back into Kuwait and set up. And then yep. you, when you come back, where are you stationed at in the in the, in the states?
2: Uh, we just come back and we, we deactivate go back to our reserve unit and it's, it's basically you go back into drill status yeah but when i came back from my first deployment you know you we had you went through your leave and then you signed out and then you went back reserve status but then uh, i went back i was a, a mailman i went to delivering mail and then um a little bit of time passed and they were like hey um the uh mps from this from the company charlie um that side is going to leave and we don't need more true fairs anymore but we don't have enough MPs to do the job um do you want to go and i was like absolutely i'd much rather go out there and and feel like i'm making a difference uh than deliver mail delivering mail you just get up in the morning and no matter how hard you work as soon as you go back in the next day you got a mountain of mail to deliver and over in, in combat, I felt like I was really making a difference between, um, you know, helping provide security for the, for the Iraqi people, um, you know, training up the Marines and, and, and feel like that I was doing something that meant something.
0: Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found.
1: Yeah, man, being a mailman getting up every damn day knowing there's a pile of mail, that's doing something. Don't chuck it yeah. on that one, bro. Yeah, that's you know, old school, like it was it rain, sleet? no matter what. This sucker's going through. You talking about like you're an old school mailman with the truck and the bag up. Yeah, and walking I walking make the mail sure mail that there, I go bro. out there and talk to my mail lady every, every time I see her. It's you know, hard work. Well man, know? we were talking about earlier, we I saw something on the news up in LA that the people are robbing the trains and just pushing the packages out when they come in and it's just yeah. It's crazy. It's like there's somebody also mailman protects your mail. I mean, it yeah. looks out for that stuff. That's a, that's a noble profession. It truly is. So th- man. Thanks for doing that one too. Yeah. You're a mailman. Um, that's great. Yeah. How do you even get into that? First of all, and tell us some cool mailman stuff. I mean, what about the dog?
2: <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> yeah. Coolest mailman. Story. No, they're cool, they're cool mailman stuff. You get to meet a lot of really great folks, you know, how could you not?
1: Um, you go to everyone's house. I mean, they
2: deliver their mail. Absolutely. You make really great friends with, with people that you would have never met. Um, you know, I wasn't going to become a mailman at first. I was wanting to take every police test I could. Um, I felt that I was going to gravitate towards that. Being a police officer sounded really cool. But my dad, when he got out of the Air Force, ended up um, was working for the post office. And he said, hey, come on down here and and they're they're testing. And I ended up uh, taking the test and did pretty well and um, got hired on back in 98. And I just thought I was going to be a mailman for the rest of my life. You know, Um, I thought, hey, you know, I got to work with my dad. So we got to eat lunch together all the time. It was really cool. Um, you get to meet a lot of great folks. You know, I've met guys who served on Iwo Jima, guys who served, you know, the Bastogne. I had one guy that I delivered mail to who was at Monte Casino oh, in, wow. in uh, Italy. And literally right down the street, I ended up running into an uh, a Air Force. He was a general. But during World War II, he bombed Monte Cassino. And it was like, "Do you know that guy down there with the purple heart plates?" And he's like, "Yeah, I see him all the time." Well, he was there, huh. so I guess they ended up, you know, becoming friends and stuff. But uh, yeah, man, you get to meet all sorts of great people. All right, so
1: I, I just want—I I got a question asking. When I see when I see them drive up trucks loaded down with the mail packages, the letters, individual letters with the addresses, some you can yeah. read, some you can't. Your first day on the job. You could just do your route and throw the mail in there like it was nothing. I mean, I that I, seems like that would be hard <laughs> to me. Like I, I watched them do the routes and uh, one of the guys showed up and he was showing me everywhere he had to go and every drop he had to make. And I, I was, man, that's impressive. It, yeah. I mean, it's a battle and rhythm in that too, right?
2: You know, and, and the funny thing is, is that uh, you have to know multiple routes. Right. So you don't learn just one route. You learn for me, I, I went over and whoever had a day off, and I, I had to learn their route. And then if they came in on their day off, I had to go somewhere else. So I knew most of the routes um, and the people who live there and what mail they get and what mail they don't get. I was about get. To
1: say, man, you got to be the best <laughs> wheelman in the country because you know the area at really well. And everybody's yep, like, oh, man, really, that's so and so. He know, runs a hot car shop. You know, he, where, yeah. where <laughs> they're.
2: You know Where their uh, mailboxes were, some people had them in the front, some people had them in the back. Somebody had to go inside, some people you had to go and, and hand the mail to them because they were too old to, to, to make it to the mailbox. Which houses had the dogs that'll attack you uh, with, you know, where do you have to watch the step for the needles, you know, the drug users, they have needles on the, in the grass. So when you know, you're going step. through training,
1: what's the protocol? Do you sit down like they used to do us in the military and you got to watch a video on dog attacks?
2: <laughs> uh you know what? i don't remember any anything any, like that any it's formal training whatsoever they, just they said dog spray <laughs> and they like watch out for the dogs you know <laughs> um you'll have guys if you're covering their routes they'll have what's called a dog card so they'll mix in these cards that'll warn you uh end with the mail so as soon as you're going through you'll get to that address and you know that they have cards you know for that you know, have dogs that all know they're aggressive but a lot of go guys don't do that so what? What
1: is it? You, you, as the deli- as a delivery guy, you show up and then it's already stacked, stacked and racked for you and loaded, and you just have to uh, do yeah. the route. Well, yeah,
2: there's there's guys who deliver their routes. A lot of times they would show up in the morning and they'd put up that mail, and you would get that mail and deliver that for them. Um, or you would come in, come in in the morning and you would put up that mail as if you were that person, and then you go out on the street and carry.
1: Okay. So it varied. You had to mix it right,
2: up. Right. buried. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, like I said, the best part about delivering mail is working with really great folks and, and being a part of uh, just a lot of people depend on it, especially older folks. The, you know, they they, they like that's their interaction for with people every day is to right. come in. And, so whenever you see like somebody's mail is piling up and, you know, maybe that person had fallen down. And that happened to me once, you know, I noticed, uh, you know, this lady's who was very punctual with her mail. wasn't, and she was elderly. So uh, I knocked on her door. She's like, help me. And I went in and I, you know, got her up out of the chair and everything and, or got her up off the floor into her chair.
1: That's a great point. You don't really think about it like that, but when it comes to the people who come to our house and deliver our mail and do everything, they're also, I mean, it is a welfare check. I mean, it's yep. like you get used to seeing people. If they're not there, you understand that, hey, there might be something going on. You get to
2: know all their their rhythms yeah. and, you know, how cool, you know, just, um, you know, if somebody's in, like, uh, ha- has medical problems and you, you get to know all that stuff. And you and wouldn't really think so just because you you're spend so much, just, just a brief moment in time with, with that person. But you spend the same people every day, right? That time builds up, and you get to know their mail and what their interests are, that kind of stuff.
1: Sure. If you really take a hard look at it, a lot of people think that the they spend a lot of time, or it's like, oh, this is my friend, and this is why I was like, man. But who do you actually spend more time with? I mean, my crew and I were talking about this. I was like, I have, I grew up, but I still have the same crew I, I ran around with as a kid, and then I have my new one. And I was like, man, I spend more time with y'all than I do most people ever. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. I, even if it's at work or if it's uh, whatever it is you're doing, I man, you're still spending time with them. It's just what y'all are doing together. So enjoy that time together, get to know each other. And then, and, and you'll also get to know each other by default, just by being around each other, you pick up the mannerisms and how everything works. So
2: so that's I'm, was a good thing about how I, you know, cause I worked with my dad and I got to know him in a totally different light than I knew him as, as you know, a father and son we we became pretty much best friends and so i got to know him more of a man-to-man than than you know the father than son so our connection uh grew much stronger
1: i was about to say what's that like i I never had that i didn't have that
2: that. yeah it it was um you just grew much stronger because he was there especially when I came back home after my tours and he could see, cause we used to ride together to yeah. work and he could see how much I changed and how things were bought and how I was so much quieter when I came home. Um, but it's easier to confide in somebody that you trust as a friend. And it is that somebody, you know, like, like, it's your dad, you
1: know, <laughs> thing, so. All right. Like hell yeah, I wanted to tell you, but you know I just couldn't because you're my
2: father. That's tough, <laughs> yeah, right? it's like, it's- so you know, with him and his experiences in during the Vietnam War, I was able to 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 uh, kind of point me in the right direction. Even though he said, "No, you've seen a hell of a lot more than I ever did," but you know, if you ever need somebody to talk to, I'm always here. Oh, wow. and you know, they're good for that.
1: Yeah, my father was good for that. If I ever needed direction, I mean, and I, I, I try to teach this to my sons too. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm your father. I'm not your friend. This whole nine yards, but all you know, if you need something like some directions, or I needed something like, man, it would, the whole thing would shift. Be like, oh, here's what I got for you. Here's what you need to do this. This, this, this that, and the other man. That's yeah, for sure. And then they immediately switched back over to that. Every time he looked at me, I thought he wanted to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> And when I wasn't doing anything wrong, he's like, I know you're trying to do something wrong. I'm like, No, sir, I promise. <laughs> Freaking love you, dad.
0: <clears throat> you got injured in 2004.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love you, dad. <laughs> please, please, please.
0: So you got injured in 2004, but immediately volunteered to go right back in. Why don't you talk about yep. that for a little bit? Um, how I got injured? Yeah. Or, okay. Both. Um,
2: <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was, uh, I, I ended up volunteering. Uh, To go over on my second tour, and and they stuck me with a a, a mobile training team. We were supposed to train Iraqi policemen in a town called Haditha. oh
1: what a (laughs) what a great op that was, right? We the same thing, same (laughs) town, man. (laughs) By the freaking
2: dam, right?
1: That's right, the dam.
2: The the (laughs) the dam. So I was with the they married me up with uh weapons company third battalion fourth marines and we were just there to take over from the uh the army uh the third acr and we ended up uh, uh moving in the area and how they uh patrolled was usually in vehicles and when our lieutenant colonel Came in, uh, he was like, nope, we're going to be on the ground, we're patrolling on foot, we're going to get into where the people are, and we're going to make friends, and and uh, weed these these Al-Qaeda guys out. And that's that's what we did. Uh, we go in in 18-man patrols, and move into the city, and uh, one of the, the first patrols, I think we were there two weeks before I got blown up. Um, what year was that? 04
1: Ah, Haditha, man.
2: Go ahead. March March 13th of 2004. 30 in the morning.
1: <laughs> what, foot patrol? Foot patrol. Well, you stepped on something or somebody else stepped on it?
2: Um, I didn't know what had happened at the time. Blasted. But it was a uh, uh, 122 millimeter mortar that was set up at the base of a, a telephone pole. I was 15 feet away from it. And uh, it picked me up and threw me off the road, destroyed the radio that I was carrying. Um, uh, the thing was, the guys at the end of the patrol said that it was buried too deep because it blew up the, more than out. Right. And if, it, if they buried it closer to the surface, I wouldn't be here now because that thing's got a kill radius of 120 feet. Yeah. So,
1: Did you lose anything?
2: I got a chunk of my leg taken off, uh, my calf. Looks like an ice cream scoop out of my leg. Yeah. I still got uh, a like piece shark of bite. Some, uh, what's that? So you got a shark bite. Yeah, we got a shark bite, yep. and uh, it does look like a shark bite. Funny. That's what we call them, shark bites. But um, I also got a piece of uh, shrapnel right next to my femoral artery, my left thigh. And nice. Uh, didn't didn't nick yep. it, did it? No, no. It, they decided to leave it in place. Is it still there? It's still there. Yeah, encapsulated. Those are cool X-rays, yep. right? Yep. <laughs> But um, as far as uh, that, you know, we got lucky. It, you know, like, like I tell these guys, if it was written in the stars where it had to happen. The best outcome happened. You know, we got wounded. We didn't get killed. Yeah. From it. So, you know, I had another guy, they got a, the shark bite on his tricep. Um, one of our, uh, another guy had a piece of shrapnel went through his nose and lodged in his skull. And uh, our corpsman ended up, looked like he took shotgun blasts of uh, the back of each leg and um, the back of his butt and the back of his arms.
1: One of the coolest ones I, I saw was one of our officers. He got shot in the chest through but behind it was weird, behind his plates and, and but in uh, in front of his uh, ribs. So through the foot, he had, big, had a big barrel chest. So I went in one side, yep. came out in the middle, went to the other middle and came out the other side. Wow. Oh, so cool. And then it had the ripples, the the attention ripples. So like when he flexes now, it looks like he's mad ripped. Whoa. But, I know, so cool. <laughs> so like that was in the morning. This dude's like Oh, dude, he, uh, his nickname is God of War, Father of War. I can't remember it now. But anyways, as they were rolling back out, he was running out of the hospital with the bandage of his, his body armor and his hand, wait. <laughs> 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 I mean, after a while, you us in there so long, we, we kind of become what we are. I remember when guys mm-hmm. would get hurt in the beginning. They would have 40, 50, 70, 80 surgeries to keep a leg. Now, now yeah. the guys will get a splinter or something like that, and they're like, take it. Take Give it. me that <laughs> pneumatic freaking thing. Makes me run faster. And, I mean, the technology. I got handed to the, to the civilian guys, too, keeping up with us. It's yeah. that was get, you know, As far as we got pushed backwards. Into, going into war is going backwards. You yeah. know what I mean? It just is. It's going back to the old school ways when we're killing each other. But the good part about it was our civilian populace saw that, and they, they started pushing forward in the other direction to, to accommodate uh, our injuries when we got back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, bless them for that. Yep. Bless them for that. Absolutely. All right, man, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. I, uh, the, oh, that's all right. No that worries, hadith, that, that damn dam op, the dam op. I'll never forget. We had to stay at the bottom. And the, the flights of stairs in between the flights of stairs were, were like, there's 20 of them. Oh, so man. that was the running joke. I'll never forget we had hotmail We got a computer for the first time and I tried to download one email and I I started it that night. We went on an op, came back, went to bed, woke up next morning, and it was halfway down the page. It was down it was just a picture.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, hey, uh. Yeah. And then you know, uh, they had that uh, five yeah,
2: we that were on the the third, Go ahead. We were on the third deck. Um so Everybody used to go down to use the port right. I decided to go up because nobody wanted to climb all those steps oh. to get to the, – and they were the cleanest ones.
1: So they had the numbers spray-painted on the side of the wall as you were going up the deal? Yep, yep, yep. I'll never – that was the cleanest water I'd ever seen. And we were looking for WMD in the bottom. So we were mm-hmm. in our mop suits and the Zodiacs with the totaries out there in, uh, streaming that lake. And it was so – because they said they had contaminated the lake. So we were in our mop suits driving around doing that. <laughs> I'll never forget this. It was so freaking hot. It was like 120 degrees. I look over and our chief's at the bottom of the dam by the spill on that little ledge right there strips off butt naked and jumps in the lake. He's like, it's so damn hot. I don't care. <laughs> hey, that's how we figured out it wasn't contaminated. We're good. He didn't. He's like this, this guy is hardcore. This heat's gonna kill me. Before yeah, chemicals. And as soon as we saw him jump in, we were like, "Let's go!" Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, I remember Bro. that that place. And hit? Did y'all roll into Hit? Did you go through Hit?
2: Um, I don't remember Hit. We can, well, um, all the only reason
1: I remember is because we got hit there.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember Hit, but. You Know that's one of those towns that are in that local area there, yeah, so.
1: right around there for Just, sure.
2: Um, and if we did go through there, nothing really, it's stuck small, with yeah. Me.
1: It was small. the only reason I remember it is because of, because of that name, and it was the first time I'd ever see gunfire and missiles going like for, for real, you mm-hmm. see them streaming through the air. That was one thing out there is whether you were in it or, or you weren't, you could still see it all, it was all around you.
2: Where were you? Oh, when were you over at the Haditha,
1: man? Midsummer, oh three,
2: yeah. Okay, you were there before me. Were those um, those big high electrical towers? Were they still uh, on the ground, or were they on the ground yet? Or uh, I don't remember those. Okay, because uh, when we rolled up, we were driving because we drove up from Kuwait. Then yep. Yeah, we, did. we down, drove up too all the way. Yep. Yeah, we had to. We had to uh, drive all that the gauntlet. Yeah, and uh, I remember seeing the uh, the big. High tension power lines that they had the explosives put at the bottom of them and they had crunched over.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I didn't see that. I remember going out there. Um, our chief was like, hey, we're probably going to get shot at. Just remember that.
0: I was like, how do you know when we're supposed
1: to engage back? He's like, if your body armor's missing, shoot back. <laughs> I mean, we were in this huge deuce and a half, and my old boy, one of the snipers, he was sitting on shotgun you know, on that that hump right there, that shotgun seat. Yep. I was having the best time. I did. We, what are we? Twenty three years old back in them days, man. Just in a foreign. I mean, driving back in time, seeing all that. It was terrifying. At the same time, though, for sure. Yeah. That's what's so cool about having the old timers around is like, man, they just look so comfortable. He's like, this stuff's gonna stick to you like a snotty booger, and he's like, he'd start going on. He's like, I don't give a shit what happens out here, damn it, we're gonna get it done. And then you know, you're like, yeah, hell yeah, we're gonna get it done. <laughs> yeah, those are good times, man. Man. All right, go
2: ahead. So, I, Marine, the mailman. Were you a mailman before Marine? Um, no, I joined the Marines right out of high school. All right. And um, yeah, I, so I marine mailman. i Mortuary
1: sorry? guy, you got the M's down, bro.
2: Yep, the mailman, mortuary affairs, Marine Corps, Mary, married.
0: married. Married. <laughs> <laughs> man. Mortuary affairs, that's got to be in the Midwest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep, Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> that's a heavy job, man. How do you how do you prepare for something like that? How do you handle that coming back? See, that's the tough part. You know, I used to think that that
2: the actual job of doing it at the time and it was heavy at the time. You know, my third deployment, um, we were super, super, super busy and we, uh, we had to process some of the guys that we, uh, our friends, some of our friends that got killed guys that, uh, we served in the EOD. And so, um, it was terribly rough to do at the time, but when you get home, that's when everything unloads in your mind and And uh, I had a really, really hard time dealing with the aftermath.
1: Well, it's different because you, when we're in, like we never anticipate death. I remember when guys started dying for the first time. he's kind of normally it's not around us, right? You just keep pushing, and then eventually it made its way over to us. When everyone kind of started dying, and you get into that zone because y'all had that was your job. Most yeah. of us fight to avoid that. Y'all had to fight to go get into
2: it. Did you ever lose yeah. anybody
1: on your team?
2: No, no, you um, know, just lost some some friends that we served with. Sure. No, I, I mean, I. I didn't
1: mean friends overall, just to, so everyone's clear about right. that when he talks about we know everybody. It's like cuz you start boot camp when we're kids and you just keep going. Like you run into guys at schools and lateral over and then you know, you go to go years by and then you're like, "Hey, who's so and so?" and then when you get over, you run into guys. That was that was kind of crazy when we were in, when, we, when they sent us over to the sandbox and you start running into your buddies. I mean, out in the middle of nowhere. Out yeah. in yeah. the middle of nowhere you run into like a buddy. Yeah. And you then- know, we start recognizing
2: guys that we we were on the same convoys during the push during yeah. during the invasion of Iraq. Um, for instance, um, this is after I got blown up, but uh, my gunny, um, they had some guys that came over and they were like, you look familiar. Where are you from? And uh, they were trying to go through their list of where they served at and all this stuff. And they were like, did you lose anybody last year? It's like, yeah, we lost the gunny last year and we gave him the mortuary He because I'm mortuary affairs, So they recognize each other from yeah. the year before um, that they had lost the gunnery sergeant. I think he got shot in the neck, but uh, they had to sit on his remains a couple of days before a helicopter could come down and take him. But he they recognized him from that.
1: Yeah. In case people aren't aware of that, usually to get in to get a body, when you have to, sit in, that same thing happened to us. The guys were on the mountain side of mm-hmm. it. Yep. And the uh, PJs and everybody that had to go in there, the PJs got me out, and then the PJ the guys that had to go back in. It's it's something. I mean, it's it's a good feeling to know this, that, that they'll come get you. Like our guys, we'll, you know, we'll come get you. Absolutely. I know there's some times out there I was like, man, you guys aren't getting out here fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> no. you know what I mean but then on the way back they were like ah we let you sit out here for a couple of extra days just to make you nervous I was like that's not funny It's <laughs> <laughs> funny now but I'll, you know what I mean it, it just if you guys for the young guys out there and you hear these stories and they're crazy and they are great it's an adventure if if you're gonna have to live a life down here you might wanna you know you can live it any way you want you can live it like we did but if you're young and coming up and, and you're looking for a place and a path to do it the the one that we walked, there's nothing wrong with that. And yeah, it it, it does make you different. Hard times do that, but it's not in a bad way. It's in a good way. You don't get battle weakened, you get battle hardened. And as you go through that flow, it ebbs and flows. And there's just times when the the, the ups and downs, but ultimately at the end of it, it creates something that's stronger than, than anything that went in there for sure. Absolutely.
2: You know, and, and I appreciate even the smallest things to this day. You know, uh, I, I think that it made me a better person to go through all of that because to me, family was always big, but now my family is everything to me. And, you know, I've lived so many years away from them and I, now I try to spend as much time to be there as, as a good father, you know, as, as a good role model, you know, um, you know, I appreciate the smallest things like air conditioning. And oh,
1: it's so good. I was doing that the other day, bro. Refrigeration. Hot water, air conditioning, yeah, hot water, yoga pants, like the wheel, ma- toilet paper is a good one. You know, there's some um, blessings down. Yeah. Hot water, cold air.
2: Even food, eating food with uh, no sand in it.
1: Yeah. Out of a, not out of a green mermite
2: tub. Yep. Yep. You know, what are we having for dinner? Something out of a green mermite tub. Why? <laughs> you no, know, being able to go to sleep at night and not have that that sitting in the back of your brain that you may not make it tomorrow Now that
1: insanity would go until it go until it would leave that's what you, when I think that we had to shift gears is when it was like, oh you know whatever, yep, yeah. sit here and thinking about it or I'm not thinking about it, and then when it happens it just it it goes down no that
2: but that was my job you know um that's what really made it tough is when I got blown up on my second tour and then Going back to my third, my invincibility bubble got popped. Oh, so now I'm in a job that I know exactly what I'm going to look like when you know this vehicle blows up, because no, they would set up a a scene, they would blow up a Bradley, and then they would try to draw more guys in. Yeah, and that was us. We usually rolled out with EOD because they got a they got to clear a lane for us so we can get to the remains. And they got to check the remains to make sure that you know there's there's no 40 mic mic that's sitting you know sitting inside this inferno overnight ready to blow. So we've got to you know work with those guys and those guys all had had bounties on their heads.
1: Yeah, what was the separation in time from when you uh, got hurt till you went back?
2: I got blown up in March of '03, and I was spinning back up in I want to say. May of, of 05, I mean, uh, yeah, it was 05, no, I'm not 03, Uh, March of 04, then May of 05, I'm spinning back up to go over. Yeah,
1: that was how, my turnaround was like that too. I remember getting back in there, I kind of had the heebie-jeebies, first gunfight we got in, I remember we got back to the base, and one of my new guys came up to me, he's like, man, I was nervous. He's like, I looked up there, and you just kind of took a knee, and you looked around for a little bit, and you made the call and got us out of there. I just wanted to say thanks for, you know, for coming back in here. I was like, keep thinking that. I was like, I was nervous as hell. I was like, when those bullets started flying, and I took that knee. I, first thing in my head, I was like, what in the hell am I doing back in here? <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> and I, it seemed like it lasted forever. And then finally, I was like, all right, let's get out of here kind of deal, and we fought our way out of there. But I, I, uh, it knocked the courage out of me. Like, I got my courage whipped out of me, and I, I yeah. had to go get that back. Like, I had all these tools and this fancy race car that could do all kinds of cool stuff, but I didn't have a driver to drive it. I left that dude on the mountain, so I had to yeah. go get a, uh, build a new one. And it started by getting back into the war all the way up until you know, today, kind of,
2: every day. Yeah, it was, um, everything in my body was telling me that I wasn't going to make it, you know, that this is the mission and um but i wanted to be there with for my troops i wanted to be there with them and so you know i just had to suck it up and push through it and just hope for the best oh yeah you know by the time it got to the getting on the bird leaving for my third deployment i was surprised i was walking on to the bird yeah yeah
1: all right so tell me about the book
2: all right um, when I, when I first came back home, I had a really rough time adjusting and, um, I lost my job. I want to say I lost, I, I ended up leaving the post office. Um, I couldn't handle the stress. I was basically drinking every night so I can sleep. And, um, I ended up going to the VA and going through uh, a lot of physical, not physical, but, uh, a mental uh, therapy and stuff and years go by i ended up going to the to the vfw and i started uh to talk to one of the uh navy corpsmen from vietnam and he was like i know what you need and i'm like yeah what <laughs> another beer he was like no you need to sit down and start writing because it helped me out um when i came back home from vietnam and i'm pretty sure it will help you out So at first, I thought it was a bunch of BS. So uh, I ended up um, just tucking away my back pocket. And just one day or one night, I woke up from another nightmare. And instead of grabbing another bottle uh, to go back to sleep, I just pulled out the computer and I just started writing. And I ended up writing like 20 pages that night. Um, It just felt good to get something out and and to go through and put it somewhere and not really go through and, and feel like I'm being judged for whatever my decisions were and, and everything with these past events that had happened. So I just ended up keeping it up. And over the years, I ended up teaching myself how to write. And I ended up writing from different perspectives and stuff. And I would take those stories and go into the VA with my therapist. And we would go through my sticking points um, and talk about them. He'd help me work through those. And it ended up really helping my marriage out because my wife was able to, to read like the day one of my buddies got blown up. And we had to process him, and all the feelings that went up, and so she was able to understand uh, the a lot better than what it was before. You know, where I tell her, and she didn't get it, but when she read the book or read the chapters, she was able to to understand where my mind was at. So a couple years go by, and and I ended up writing. A bunch of stories my wife's like hey you ever thought about writing a book you know putting all this stuff down this stuff's pretty good and so i ended up saying all right let's go ahead and do that and uh writing the book helped me put get it out and then put my hands around it you know to get it out and 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 uh it ended up being something that instead of me being ashamed of all those times i felt weak it ended up making me feel a lot better, um, uh, that I can put it somewhere. So I ended up publishing it and it has, um, I'm getting messages from people from all over the world, uh, thanking me for the job. First off, it's one of two books ever written about the subject. Uh, but, um, the way that I explain everything in the book is I go through and admit my, my failures and I admit my emotions and, uh, you know, the good times and the bad. So it's really helped me out considerably.
1: Man, that's, that's called flipping the script. Yeah. I've been, I I write too. I keep a journal. Yeah. And, um, I just kind of started writing with notes just like little, little stuff. People are like, how do, you, how, do you, how do you write all that? I'm like, man, just put that sucker by your toilet and just yep. jot something down at the end of the day or whatever, you know, whenever you're sitting in there. And it's almost like this. So when you're holding on to that into your head, it's like a movie director holding on to a script that he's trying to get out, only we had to go through it in real life. So when you're putting it on paper, it's legit. It's not something you're having to come up to because the emotions are what's pushing that. And then when you write it down and you read it back to yourself, you're reading a script that you wrote that you yeah. live through yourself, and it takes pressure off of you. I mean, it really does. Not only that, when you slide that over and people read it, it it's like watching a, a movie. It's like you telling them a story. And not only that, you become a character in it, and your friends change their lives, just like you said. And it, it does. It helps. Because if you, if you keep it in your head and it keeps rolling around, like if you have a constant thought that keeps rolling around, either say it out loud or write it down, and that will help that right. go away. Right.
2: You Otherwise know, you'll just my, keep
1: it bottled up in there. It's a it's a real thing.
2: It, it's it it's goes in circles because you're reliving that moment over and over and over in your head. And no matter how strong you are internally, if that cycle keeps on going, you don't put an end to that cycle, it'll wear you down. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I say that even the mightiest of mountains will eventually tumble into the sea. You know, you let those waves hit you every day it'll eventually derail you and, and knock you down. And that's what helped me was to be able to stop that and to, you know, just to get it out yeah. and able to get some sleep without turning in, into something that like alcohol that I was drinking every night, you know, and, and going through that whole phase. Now, people sleep a lot
1: better after something, than they, when, when they watch something, as opposed to when they go through it personally. It's kind of one of those deals where like, oh, I saw yeah. that on a TV show. This, if you, people saw and watched what happened to us, it's entertaining to them. Mm-hmm. You know that because when they make movies into it, people, they go get entertained by it. Yeah. And that, in any capacity, releasing that to everybody, else, like giving that problem to everybody else. And they help you with right. it. They, the best yeah. part about what happened to me is when we start talking about it. Because the people are like, hey, man, good job. I'm like, really? Like yeah, <laughs> I'm like thank you. Uh, you know, just the first one. I've, you know, it's kind of like chipping all that away. That's what those people. That's what our our countrymen are for. People are there's there's one big family down here. And every now and then, no. somebody'll come up and throw one of those at you. Like thank you for doing that, and it pulls off a piece of that pain.
2: You know, the, like they say, it takes a village to raise the child. I, I think it it takes you know uh, a village to to welcome back the warriors.
1: Yeah, heal the warrior. Sure, absolutely. They're the ones that send us. Yep. If it takes takes the village to send the warriors out, it takes the village to bring them back.
2: Right. You know, and um, you know, one thing that I found out that it also helped out a lot of other people who, who, uh, who served over there and they thanked me like some of the guys who served with uh, master Sergeant Angus and staff Sergeant Richardson. When, when those guys had got killed um, the guys from their team has reached out and thanked me for, for uh, bringing them up and trying to honor them. And, and also the book reminds people that the guys who got killed on the battlefield is just the beginning of the sacrifice. Um, It's, it's the, the, their family members that still have to make that, that sacrifice every day. And that I acknowledge that at the end of the book.
1: Well, it shows you that we're still, that, that there are Americans that are still willing to sacrifice for their country. Yeah, absolutely.
2: You like, know, and I also wanted to make sure that, you know, remind people that, that these guys, they go over, they're not just numbers on a whiteboard somewhere. These are real people with real aspirations yeah. and, and, you know, real families. And and they go over and not just once, but, you know, two, three, four or more times. Sure think about
1: that that's not the chumps that sign up for the military to go into war right. that's your best that's the best guys you got they're the ones that will get in there and willing to do anything
2: Yeah, you know they're putting their families on hold yeah. they're putting everything on hold to go over and to do a job that the american people asked them to do mm-hmm. and uh, yeah that's you know that's sacrifice
1: oh yeah that's love too
2: yep for sure absolutely
1: all right well What? How can people find you and and get to you? And and we're gonna we'll we'll promote your book, man, and push you out as best we can. Welcome to the team. I got a file on you right here, bro. So
2: awesome, (laughs) ain't going anywhere. (laughs) Yeah the uh, the book is called No Tougher Duty, No Greater Honor, Um, a memoir of a Mortuary Affairs Marine, and that is on Amazon, uh, Kindle, and on Audible. And you can find me on Facebook at no tougher duty, no greater honor or on Instagram is at, uh, no underscore tougher underscore duty.
1: All right. So what about the future? You podcasting, you put your word out.
2: You, what are you doing?
1: <laughs> you delivering flyers? You have a, uh, no, no, a high powered engine in it.
2: I, I don't know, man. Um, I went to line lineman school, electrical lineman. Yeah. And, uh, I, uh, ended up graduating from there and I ended up just taking tests and seeing where I can get plugged in at. Um, I've got another, well, a few more book ideas cause I really enjoy the, the, the process of writing. Um, it's know, changed like- so
1: much, it, the, the whole writing concept and how people read and gather their information.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: it, it it's it's really something. Plus, all the information's out there. I mean, anytime you post something or print something out it, from your perspective, I mean, death, right? Let's be yeah. a death met- messenger. They, when when death went down, you got to show up. That's exactly. It. I mean, I I can only imagine the call signs and nicknames they got for your for your crew.
0: I'm <laughs> sure there I'm sure there's a
1: oh, bunch well, of uh, just off the top um, of my head. What I was thinking when you told me what you did, I was like, oh, freaking.
2: We used to roll out uh our call sign was uh trip Keeper. Yeah, I knew it. yeah, oh yeah. Yep. You go all day with them.
1: Yeah. I bet hey, your badge should have been that Cryptkeeper Keeper because I think hey, that joker's <laughs> <laughs> the old school <laughs> keeper from back in the day. That's but, right. It comes the keepers. All right. yeah. Just keep doing what you're doing, man. I mean
2: uh married kids. Yep, I'm married, um, same woman. For the last uh, hundred years. I'm nice work. <laughs> no, I I've been. Uh, no, we've been together for twenty-three now. Um, we have two beautiful girls. One's twenty-one. The other one is uh, about to turn eleven, here soon. And
1: um, oh, so you're about to go through the teenage years. I, I have one who's nine. Oh. She's about to be ten. So I- I'll be going through that with you.
2: Yeah. Our, our older one, she's uh, you know she's twenty-one, and um, that is rough going through, um, seeing the changes and stuff. Now, this other one is my, my little sweetheart and she, you know, follows me around and we'll work out in the garden together or, you know, and, and so she's always wanting to know what's on my mind and to watch her do her changes here soon. It's, it's bittersweet, man.
1: Sure. I I make an arrangement with my, uh, with Adelaide. All right, look, I'm going to take care of you and make sure you get to where you're going. When I get old, you got to take care of me. You can go do anything you want, but then it's got to be a doctor so you can take care of dad. Deal? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about how mean I am and disciplining your, your brother. All right. He's man cub. That's different. My daughter, like, sweetheart. Because yeah. I think your mom might let me die.
2: <laughs> that's funny. Oh, man. Chris, thanks so much, man, yeah, bro, for, for coming on. It's an honor, man. I, I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man.
1: Take care of yourself. God bless you, man. God bless,
2: brother. Take care. Yep. Out.